Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. What I think boys need most is just a really good dad. I have two boys that love to get up on top of the roof, and I just tell them, okay, if you're cleaning out the gutters, just stay away from the edge. I'm trying to teach my son how to balance a spirit of tenderness, especially toward God, with the strength of manhood. What it means to respect a woman, especially their mom, is something that I want them to know and to do very well. If I can teach my boys nothing other than brush your teeth and put on deodorant, I think I've succeeded. (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) Some great ideas there about training your sons to become men. And if you've got a boy in your home, or maybe you work with young boys at church or in school, you probably have an opinion about what else should be added to that kind of list. This is Focus on the Family with Focus President and author Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller, and Jim, I'd work pretty hard on a few of those issues with my boys when they were growing up. How about you? Me too, John. Me too. I remember how Gene and I were always reminding our boys to brush your teeth and use deodorant. Man, that's carbon copy. Uh, Sometimes I still remind them to do it, and I don't want to embarrass anyone, but here we go. Uh, We've also had lots of family discussions over the years about the future of what being a good and godly man looks like. Uh, We've done Bible studies in that regard because we wanted our sons to launch well. And every parent should have that same priority for both girls and boys, uh, how to launch your children well. In our culture, we don't have a, a good process for that transition from boyhood to manhood. I admire cultures like the Jewish culture where you have a bar mitzvah saying, you're no longer a boy, you're now a man. Uh, There's a demarcation line. You're a boy yesterday, but today you've made it to the big leagues. Uh, You're into manhood. Now go get a job. (laughs) There's some good practical encouragement. (laughs) It is. But we struggle with where that line is today. I mean, is it when you get your driver's license or when you're able to vote? We can all fumble a bit at that moment uh, where that manhood takes place. And today we're going to cover that territory in the program. Yeah, we'll return to one of our best of broadcasts from a while ago. We recorded it with Jonathan Catherman. Uh, He's worked for decades in private and public education and has real expertise in youth and leadership training. Jonathan is the father of two sons himself, and he's written a book that benefits pretty much any family raising boys. It's called The Manual to Manhood, How to Cook the Perfect Steak, Change a Tire, Impress a Girl, and 97 Other Skills You Need to Survive. We've got details about that book at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Let's go ahead and hear now, Jim, how you began the conversation with Jonathan on today's episode of Focus on the Family. Now, our boys are about the same age. I was curious about that. Yeah, I almost regret not bringing them with me on this trip. <laughs> that would have been fun. They could have gone fishing. Yeah, well, my boys <laughs> have been fishing this weekend, so they would have liked to have done that again. It's a great experience. Uh, let's talk about that in general. Paint a picture of the typical boy you meet. You're engaging with a lot of young uh, men. Uh, talk about, if we could, who is that typical boy today? Sure. I mean, I don't mean to be too generic, but I think when we do a typical boy today, we almost have to do a comparison of when we were boys versus what boys are like today. Is there a difference? Oh, absolutely. The cultural norm has shifted so dramatically between when we were growing up and they are now. But like a boy today, example being 
um, deodorant, like in, in the lead-in here. <laughs> right Let's back to wear the deodorant. deodorant, right? That's what it's going to be all program long. Gene is very happy. <laughs> well, how many options of deodorant did we have when we were growing up? <laughs> Probably one. Like well, the chalk. one you got out of your dad's. <laughs> old Spice. Yeah, Old Spice, right? Well, now you've got 13 flavors of Axe or since and you go down the aisle what am i supposed to wear and how much of it am i supposed to wear when am i supposed to start wearing it and you meet these young men today and, and again not just be of all young men but i'm finding an inconsistency in the capabilities of young men hmm. starting at about age 11 12 13 years old where they're really struggling trying to figure out how do they control everything from wearing deodorant to their voice changing to knowing how to shake hands to confidence that is just not being brought up like it was a generation ago. You've written this book, Manual to Manhood, which I love. And you said yourself, it's a simple approach to uh, helping your boy become a man. And I understand you wrote this book because of a handshake. So how did a handshake lead you to writing a book? Right. I was at a leadership conference at UCLA. And uh, after I spoke, there's this long line of, let's go shake the speaker's hand. This guy walks up to me, and I'd already noticed a couple patterns. One being, what is wrong with these young men? How come they, don't they know how to iron their shirts and their slacks? This is a global leadership conference. And look, they're walking towards me like they just stepped out of their own luggage. <laughs> and this young man walks up to me, and it just clicked because he gives me this just dead fish handshake. I'm like, I have yet to receive a good handshake out of everybody who's met me. It's either been overpowering hmm. or underwhelming. Huh. And I said, you know what? We got to do something because these young people are the leaders of not just today. I mean, we would call them the leaders of tomorrow, but they're the leaders of today as well. Yeah. And uh, never before in history have we been given more to steward. And we hmm. all will agree to those who've been given much, much is expected. But yet they're struggling with the little things, yet we're expecting them to steward the big things. So let's yeah. bring it all the way back down to something as simple as a handshake to demonstrate I know how to control myself. Now will you trust me with some values? So much of this is father engagement, too. And I think, you know, we fall on the excuses of we're busy and they'll get it. I got it. I didn't have anybody telling me. Um, I mean, I didn't have a dad in my life. And uh, in that regard, I remember frantically trying to figure out how to tie a tie. This is before smartphones. And I'm probably in junior high going off to the junior high dance. Mm. And I didn't have anybody to ask. So I kind of threw a knot together. And I think I got teased a bit for it. But the point of that is, um, you know, some dads feel like boys will figure it out. That's not a good perspective, is it? I don't think it's a good perspective at all. In your case, you said you had to experiment to get it right. So we can observe and we can experiment. We could be instructed. And a father engaged showing his son how to tie a tie. He might not get it the first time, but then we re-engage. It's relational and it's skill-based. And so he walks away with a tie tied and, and this feeling like he did it, says the 12, 13-year-old. Dad's thinking, I really did most of the work there. Next time out, the son comes and says, Dad, what do you think about my tie? Well, let me help you fix that up a little bit, son. And now the son's done the majority of the work. Third time round, Dad goes, your tie looks really well. Well, we now have three engagements of compliment, just about tying a tie. And it's mm -hmm. bonding relationally as well as building the skill. Or you can experiment and try it out and maybe get teased and see yeah. if you got it right or not. You know, you talk about that handshake. Something Gene and I did for both Trent and Troy, mm -hmm. both against their will, was to enroll them in cotillion. Now, a lot of people, I didn't understand what that was when we first enrolled them. I said, it's going to be mostly about dinner table manners. And that was only a small fraction of it. It was mostly about dancing <laughs> in appropriate ways, like ballroom dancing, mm -hmm. the waltz, and those kinds of things. And uh, they were mortified. And I remember the first night when I took my oldest, Trent, he just looked across the room at the beautiful 
Broadmoor Ballroom here in Colorado Springs. It's a gorgeous resort hotel. And uh, he looked across the room at me, and his eyes were saying, when I get a hold of you, Dad, you are dead. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was the first time he had to hold a girl's hand and mm-hmm. introduce uh, his um, companion to the adult chaperone, shake the chaperone's hand. Oh. And that, I would say, Trent told me this morning, he said, that's where I learned how to shake a hand properly and look mm-hmm. the adult in the eye. It's important to know that. It's critical to know those little skills. When I meet young men today at a school or at a conference and I get the bad handshake, I'll stop them. I said, all right, hey, man, really nice to have met you. Let's do that handshake over again. Now look me in the eye. Good. Now, hey, excellent job. Now next time you shake someone's hand, that's the way to go. A really good handshake. Congratulations. I always lead it up to a compliment. Or how many times would you have done it wrong and the person walked away thinking, what was that? Hmm. So having an opportunity to be instructed and, and your son's going to an experience like that, that's a controlled environment. It's a safer controlled environment. Or we can go out in the world, which is not one of the controlled environments, mm-hmm. and there aren't too many folks out there wanting the best for your our boys. They're wanting to get the best from our boys. Mm. So if we set them up for success with a simple handshake, they might look mom and dad at you now cross-eyed thinking you've got two heads growing out of your shoulders going, why in the world are you teaching me how to shake hands? These are the little things. Those who can steward little can learn to steward much. And shaking Uh, hands is a great place to start. It's a good point. Um, Talk about those bad role models in the culture today. It seems that the culture is demanding attention from our kids. They're pulling them into the – Dr. Dobson used to describe it as a hallway of doors, and each door had a different label on it, drugs or premarital sex or whatever it might be. And he said in his day the doors would be shut and locked. You'd have to find a way to get through the door. And then in the 80s, 90s, the doors were there, but they were just a little bit ajar. Today, I'd describe that analogy as wide open. Mm. Television is grabbing our kids, uh, movies, pop culture in general. How do we um, train them to manage that as a Christian young man in a good way? I think, honestly, the first training needs to come to the parent. Marketing is much better Mm. at gaining and retaining the attention of our young people than most parents are. And the reason is because marketing teams sit around tables strategizing about how to get the attention of a young yeah. person, hold on to it, and extract value from it. Mm. Maybe as parents, as a men's group or a women's group or within the church or just in my, how about mom, dad at your own home, sit down with your kids not there and strategize about how to gain and retain their attention in something that instead of taking value from your son or daughter, gives value to them. No, that That is really good. And I'm thinking of, again, my own boys, we're right now talking about being able to do lawn work and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I was telling them, you need to make a flyer up and determine what your price is going to be. And then you send those out. And if it's not working, then you got to go door to door and kind of uh, negotiate a good price. And so I'm looking forward to seeing that unfold over the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Well, and as adults, we have that background knowledge. You just described sales and marketing. Right? We know what that is because we're mature adults. They don't know what that is yet. So you got to walk them into the process and be okay with them not being great at it at first. Yeah. Practice, mom, dad, hear me. Practice does not make perfect. <laughs> okay? There's only one who's perfect, and his name's Christ, and I'm not him. He lives within me, but that doesn't mean that what we do is perfect. Practice simply makes better. And nobody, you're not a failure until you give up. So if my son goes out mm. and he just botches someone's yard you know he moses their yard and it's just a terrible you know weeds are still growing up on the sides and he didn't do a good job sweeping and 
it's not a failure in the yard. You got to go back and finish the job or fix the job. And next time you'll become better and we'll become better and become better. I think we all need to look back to experiences in our own life when we were tweens and teens and young adults and say, how many times do we have to practice something before we got it right? Hopefully nobody saw us get it wrong because we want to, and and this is something I stress uh, heavy in the book about young men is they want to gain respect and avoid embarrassment. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, an example for us, uh, my youngest, uh, Troy, wanted to play Little League this year. Now he's 12. He's never played Little League. Some of those kids have been playing for five years. So ahead of time, I think, okay, he's not going to do well. He doesn't have the skills. So I said to Troy, you know, Troy, this will be your learning year. You're going to be at bat. You may not rise to some of the capability of the other kids, but that's okay. This is your year to learn how to hit. The coaches will help you. A couple of grounders might get through your legs, but don't be discouraged. He goes, oh, yeah, Dad, that's okay. I know this would be the year I'll learn. But it helps begin to frame because there's going to be those times when you don't rise to the level of your peers because mm-hmm. you haven't done it. And uh, you could put any circumstance around that, whatever your young man is going to be trying to do. And I think it's helped him. I've seen it. He's still engaged in that endeavor. He's improving. But at the end of the game, the sting doesn't last as long. Is that a good approach? I think it is. I think it's a great approach because, again, it's in, we've got another game coming. Let's try it again practice a little right. bit better. The worst curse I think we could bring upon ourselves in this context is that when the opportunity is there, we're unprepared. Right. And so what we're trying to do is prepare these young men so when the opportunity rises, they can rise to meet the opportunity. And we're reacting out of emotion, and that's not a healthy place that typically. That not be a healthy place. I really appreciate Jonathan Catherman's book, The Manual to Manhood, because, Jonathan, you're framing things in a big picture kind of way, but the subtitle is all about the little things, how to cook the perfect steak, change a tire, impress a girl, and 97 other skills you need to survive. So you really are talking about little things that lead to big things. Uh, Go ahead and uh, stop by our website to find out more about The Manual to Manhood. Maybe get this uh, CD or download the program so you can refer to it again. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash broadcast. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. At Focus on the Family, we know you want to see your grandchildren follow Christ. Here's how you do that. The Legacy Grandparenting Summit, the only national conference on Christian grandparenting. Coming to over 100 locations on October 20th and 21st. You'll find wisdom, direction, and inspiration from speakers including Anne Graham Lotz and Miles McPherson. Register now for the Legacy Grandparenting Summit at LegacyCoalition.com summit. Praying with the kids at bedtime in the comfort of your home. This warm setting is featured in the new special edition print from Focus on the Family titled What Matters Most. It's a story in paint by artist Morgan Weisling, a gicle depicting a faithful pioneer family, and it can have a special place in your home to remind you of what's truly important. Get this special edition print at focusonthefamily.com slash special print. That's focusonthefamily.com slash special print. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. I mentioned before we came into the studio that respect, that that element of respect and avoiding embarrassment, I mean, that resonates with me, 13, 14, oh, 
horrifically embarrassing years for me. Those I, are mountain they, moments. They are. <laughs> they are. And my 11-year-old, uh, Zane, is really into football. And I I had kind of signed off on any physical thing for him. He, he just did not seem to have coordination when he was younger. That boy throws a really nice spiral. <laughs> and it's because he has practiced and practiced. Yeah. But what I see is he is totally motivated by uh, playground respect. Mm-hmm. It's something that he intuitively wants to get and to avoid that embarrassment. Is that just something wired in us, or do we have to guide our kids to understand that? I can't wait to ask God that question. If it's (laughs) wired in, is it part of the DNA of male to gain respect and avoid embarrassment? It's certainly the reoccurring pattern. I I don't know many men who aren't concerned about that. I think we can boil it down in many different ways, but, but I think that most young men, and old men alike, from the youngest to the oldest among us, to gain respect and avoid embarrassment is a strong value. And I, I do think it's something that God put into us. The question, though, is how do we go about doing that? Mm-hmm. And for your son Zane to throw a spiral and everybody looks at him and go, wow, look at that ball go. That You know what? It builds him up. Mm-hmm. So what of the young man who doesn't have dad there throwing with him? Or maybe it's not his deal, right? Maybe he doesn't like sports. Yeah. So what else can he do to gain respect? You ever seen somebody swing a hammer, um, but they choke up on the hammer? And they're holding it right up by the hammerhead. And you're looking at that guy going, who taught him how to swing a hammer? And the answer is, nobody taught him how to swing a hammer. Mm. And that's an awkward feeling to realize that everybody's looking at you going, this guy doesn't even know how to use a tool. Or overcook a steak. Mm-hmm. You know, where, where you invited your buddies over, you <laughs> Wait, got the grill going. I'm next still to doing you. that. <laughs> <laughs> That's because nobody taught you. Yeah, I can burn anything on a grill, man. I'm telling you. Well, let, let, me, let me, real brief, let me tell you something that happened. I was in South Texas driving on the freeway, and i just come from a university speaking, and I was living the post dopamine high of, of that was a great experience, right? And all of a sudden, I was in this car accident I didn't see coming. And I was doing 75, and that's just one of those things. You, If you don't know you're in a car accident 75 miles an hour on the freeway, and all the airbags are deploying, and all the glass is breaking, and you're thinking, well, at that time, I was thinking, I'm going to die in this mm-hmm. car accident. And I didn't even see it coming. And only have one other thought going through my mind is that is, who's going to raise my boys? Yeah, isn't that interesting at that moment? Yeah, I wasn't worried about my wife. She is street smart and sassy and beautiful. There's going to be a long lineup at my memorial service. The guy's asking her out on a date. But my boys, who's, who would raise my boys to be good men? What did that motivate you to do after the accident? Well, I stood on the side of the road with nothing more than a bruise on my hip and a total rental car. Oh. And, uh, and I said, I'm going to go home. and I'm, I'm a decent dad. I'm going to go home and be a purposeful parent. Uh-huh. So we started doing something at our house, and we played off our last name. Catherine Mann is the last name. So we started doing Catherine Mann missions. A Catherine Mann mission could be running errands and pumping gas or going to the grocery store and, and getting the shopping done, just the guys. You know, They need to know how to budget for burger over steak as much as they need to know how to, to uh, change a tire. And so all the Catherine Mann missions are little incremental rites of passage. Huh, those are good, good little things to mm-hmm. be doing. Uh, talk to that single mom. I mean, this is part of our culture today where dads are not involved for whatever reason in their kids and in their sons' lives. Uh, talk to that mom who is desperate for a man to be a mentor to her boy. What can she do to a certain point, and then what can she not do? Hmm to help that boy become a man? First thing, Mom, thank you very much because you're doing double duty. You're doing the role of mom and the role of dad. 
And uh, it can be hard for your son to come to you and say, hey, I, I, you know, I've got this peach fuzz on my face. Well, what am I supposed to do with it? And you know, teaching your son to shave can be an awkward thing or, or other topics. I mean, that's just one of the simple ones. One of the things, though, mom, you can do is just look for ways to support him. There's little things like getting them resources like that. Don't push them towards something. Get involved in a, in a church group that has got some great men who are willing to mentor your sons as well. It's a biblical instruction for men to mentor. In the context, is, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. Huh. That's a great place for in a youth group or in a men's group. Um, mm. We're supposed to raise up, you know, if when you raise a child up in the ways of the Lord, he will not depart from it when he grows old. Mom, that's your responsibility, but young men need to see that from a positive male role model yeah. as well. Hey, Jonathan, when you look at the culture today, uh, you know, there's a real uh, lack of chivalry. Mm-hmm. Um, and some women, young women particularly, are put off by it because they've been told by feminists and others that, you know, men shouldn't do anything for you. You're capable. And they are offended by it. You know, if I, sometimes when I've opened a door for a woman going into a business or something, uh, most times, to be fair, you get a, a courtesy thank you. But sometimes you'll get a woman saying, I don't need you to do that for me. I've actually had yeah. women say that to me. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. What should we be teaching our young boys about how to treat women in a culture that doesn't seem to understand how to treat women? What's the difference between opening the door for a woman walking through and opening the door like you did for me walking here into the studio today? This is common courtesy to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And of course, you can't be all things to all people and you can't guarantee that they're going to accept and or reject what it is you're offering. My wife did the same thing. When we were dating in high school, I opened a door for her and she looked at me and I think I'd opened many doors for her. But this time she crossed her arms and gave me the head bob (laughs) and the hips way out and she goes, I can open my own door, thank you very much. I'm thinking, where did that come from? And it really was this context of she appreciated the chivalry at the same time she's perfectly capable. And I I said, well, wait a minute, time out. I'm not doing this for you because I don't think you can. See that man walking up, that little old man walking up here? And I opened the door for him too. So I'm not trying to date him. (laughs) I'm just trying to be polite to others. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the ways that we can demonstrate that I value others, not just myself. Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of people go through the door valuing themselves. They open the door for themselves, walk right through, and it swings closed on the person right behind them. Moms, dads, teach your boys how to be open doors to be chivalrous, to do for others as they want to be done for them. Yeah, and that's the point. You're teaching a higher spiritual value there. Hmm. Um, you're not trying to be a downer for people at all. No. And I think that's a great a great value to teach. Uh, Jonathan, one of the most important things we need to pass on to our boys uh, is our faith. I mean, that's like job one. Hmm. And uh, describe how you've done this with your sons. A long time ago, a very wise woman gave me instruction on how to speak to my boys. My boys were very little at the time, and uh, uh, Reed was had a thermonuclear meltdown in a candy store. <laughs> Total temper tantrum. Yeah, Never happened to Never me. happened to anybody else. <laughs> Only me, I'm sure. Everybody's watching us. And, and, and this woman who owned the candy store, she corrected me because I said to my son, you're embarrassing. Get up. Look, everybody's watching you. You're, you're embarrassing yourself. Translated, you're really embarrassing me. Right. Uh, you're in trouble. Get up. We're going home. You're going to be in timeout. And she said, stop right now. Wow. And she turned me around and she said, put him right back down where you got him. So down he went again, back into a temper tantrum. And she flipped the script. She went back down. She got down to his level and said, Reed, 
will you repeat after me? And in a series of repeats, he went from laying on the floor with her temper tantrum to sitting up, to standing up, to marching around her candy store, pumping his fists in the air, saying, I am strong, I am brave, and I am of great courage. Huh. I looked at her and I said, how did you do that? What are you, the child whisperer? And she got her <laughs> finger in my face and said, no, you have to speak it so, Jonathan. You gave him no other options. You mm-hmm. told him he was embarrassing and trouble going home to be in timeout. What else did you say to him? Huh. I said, I didn't say anything. She goes, every day you need to tell him to be strong, to be brave, and to be of great courage. Well, that plays over in the context of passing on our faith before our sons as well. They need to hear me speak of my faith. They need to see me living it out authentically. Mm -hmm. They need to know that the man that Christ has created, who is in right relationship with his mother, who loves his sons as a father first and also wants to be friends with them, who is honoring God and honoring others, this is the ethos of who he is. This is part of who he is. It's not a Sunday weekend experience. I've got to speak it so and live it so. As my sons, if you were to ask them today, who are you? They would look at you in the eye and say, hi, my name is Reed Catherine. My name is Cole Catherine. They'd shake your hand real well. And then they'd say, I'm strong, brave, and of great courage. And they're men, I call them men in the making, of great faith because they've personalized the instruction they saw because I was not hypocritical in living it out. Wow, that is good parenting advice right there. Jonathan Catherman, author of the book Manual to Manhood, How to Cook the Perfect Steak. I got to read that section, by the way. <laughs> Change a tire. I probably need to freshen up that one. Impress a girl and 97 other skills you need to survive. It's great content, and thanks for being with us. It's been a privilege. Thanks for the invite. Some terrific insights for raising godly sons who will become confident, capable men. And I'm sure that many of our listeners have been encouraged by this conversation. What a wonderful message, John. Uh, A great reminder for moms and dads about those practical skills that will help our sons succeed in life. If you have an adolescent or teen boy growing up in your home, this book is a perfect resource for them. It's a simple and easy to read manual. And man, it covers everything like setting the table for a meal, how to check the oil in a car, and even how to freshen up that bad breath. Uh, Maybe you know a boy or young man who would benefit from such skills. I'd love to put this book into your hands. If you can send a financial gift of any amount to Focus on the Family today to help families, we will gladly send you a copy of The Manual to Manhood. Now, if I could be honest, what we really need are faithful friends who will commit to a monthly pledge for the ministry because we depend upon your partnership with us to strengthen marriages, equip parents like we've done today, and provide all of the resources we have for families on a whole variety of topics. If you can sign up for a monthly pledge to focus, that will really help us. But maybe all you can do right now is a one-time gift, and that will help us too, obviously. Everything helps. Let me say thank you in advance for that support. Yeah, we really are grateful for your generosity, and we'll be sure to bundle an audio download of our entire conversation with Jonathan about his book. Uh, Donate when you call 800, the letter A in the word family, or at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast.
We'll take a quick break here and then return with another faith-building program for your family. Stay tuned. My favorite thing about Brio is that you can actually absorb stuff from it and learn. Reaching teen girls right where they're at with encouragement to grow in their faith. The stories in the Brio magazine about other people that have gone through things way worse than I have is really inspiring and uplifting. Help your teen invite God into her everyday experience with Brio magazine. Learn more at focusonthefamily.com slash Brio Radio. I think a lot of it was really, it's just so much of like the media. It it just affects you because you just see all this stuff on TV and all these commercials of these women looking so perfect Mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, okay, if I want to be beautiful, I have to look like that. Even though they are photoshopped and, you know, everything, like that's not even real, like that's not even them. That is an example of just one of the many lies that women of all ages believe. And it doesn't start when you're an adult. It begins when you're much younger than that. And we'll be talking about that today on Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus president and author Jim Daly. And our guest is Dana Gresh. Uh, She'll point out some of those lies and how you can talk them through with your daughter. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fuller. John, I have all sons, so this is uh, not my experience. I wish I would have had at least one daughter, but it didn't happen. Um, I know you have three daughters. I do. Um, describe that season when they were in their tween years. Was that pretty difficult? And Did you and Dina have uh, help in fighting those lies that they might have been <laughs> yes. believing? Well, we had plenty of help because, of course, I work here at Focus on the Family. <laughs> so a treasure trove, as you call it, of resources. But we did have plenty of challenges. The the relationship that they had with their... There. <laughs> I like that. There you go. I think one of the biggest opportunities we had with regard to lies was to help them realize it's not how you look, referring to that clip there. It's not what you do. We love you for who you are. And, mm. and that's not a lie that is easily countered. The culture seems to just say it's all about who you are, what you do, what you say, how you look. Well, and that well can be so deep that parents can't even keep it filled in their daughter's hearts. You can do the right thing all day, and it's such a cavernous well Mm -hmm. that they don't feel adequate, they don't feel beautiful, whatever it might be, that um, you need God's help to help them fill that that void. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that relationship between mothers and their daughters is so, so special. And mothers want to get those conversations right so their daughters will open up to them and uh, talk about different things that are going on in their lives. Tweens face so many lies when it comes to their friends, both boys and girls. Today, we are going to concentrate on the girls. So it's vital. Uh, that parents have these conversations. Dads play a critical role as well with the daughters, mm-hmm. obviously, too, with their sons. But again, we're going to concentrate on Dana's great book today. Yeah, Dana Gresh is a, a seasoned guest here. It's been a while since we've had her here, but we're so glad to have her back. Uh, she's the founder of the ministry True Girl and co-hosts uh, a podcast for Revive Our Hearts and is a speaker at a number of women's events. She has two great books for us. Uh, to talk about today. One is called Lies Girls Believe and the Truth That Sets Them Free. And then there's a companion volume, A Mom's Guide to Lies Girls Believe. So we'll cover a lot of ground here. And if you want to learn more, stop by our website and uh, you'll find all the details 
That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash broadcast. Dana, welcome back. Wow. It's good to see you. So good to be back. It's been a little it's, while, it has but been. it's wonderful to have you back in Colorado Springs. I Hope you good. enjoy the beautiful weather. <laughs> it is beautiful. Hey, let me uh, let me get right at it. Uh, you start off in the books talking about um, the insecurity that crept up on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happened and how does it relate to the lies uh, girls are told about friendship? Well, th- I think every woman, I don't know if men experience this, you'll have to tell me, feels lonely at some point. We feel like we don't have enough friendship or the right kinds of friendship, or we hear about somebody else's great connection and best friend, and we're like, I don't have that. It's a a craving in our heart that really ultimately is reminding us of our need for friendship with Mm, Jesus. But um, I experienced that recently, Uh, not recently, but when I was writing the book, I was just having one of those days I was like, I don't think anyone likes me. Oh, I probably got some hate mail or something from somebody that started me on a spiral. And, you know, you play that tape in your mind of all the negative thoughts that have ever yep. been said, all the negative things you've ever thought. Um, and that was playing in my head. And I, I don't know why, but I specifically thought of my friend Laura Booz. And I thought, I bet she doesn't like me. Now, I'm dramatizing here. I'm not that childish. But who am I kidding? Yes, I am. I was that childish. <laughs> And, you know, I just finally, I said, Lord, I'm coming to you with my loneliness. I'm coming to you with this sadness. What do you want to teach me? And I had a great time with the Lord that night. The next morning, I walked into my office, and would you believe it? My friend, Laura Booz, who I hadn't heard from for months, there was a note on my desk from her that she had dropped off that morning that just said, I don't know why, but God just had you on my heart today. I wanted to tell you how special of a friend you are to me. That's amazing. But you know what that showed me is it really is. God is driving us with our loneliness and our fear of missing out and all of those things to him. And as moms, we have to run to him for those things and be really careful that we don't try to give our daughters an artificial fix when he is using loneliness to draw our daughters to him. Yeah, you know, I'm back at your comment there about you know, the differences between men and women. And I think it's interesting. Of course, you, all the books out there, you know, Venus and Mars and yeah. spaghetti and waffles uh-huh. and how <laughs> men and women are different. But men do have an incredible capacity to compartmentalize. Yeah. And I think that that works for us. You know, they talk about men that go to war like World War II. They could have seen yeah. horrific things. They never talk about it again. They lock it away mm-hmm. in some compartment in their head and in their emotions. Which they should not do. Correct. We should I say. Mean, it's not healthy, but <laughs> it, not it is kind of the wiring yes. that we have. That if yeah. we are in a bad spot, we just kind of lock that door of our heart and throw the key away. Right. And it may come up in different ways. Women are so interconnected in their mm-hmm. brains and their emotions. That spaghetti factor, you know, just wiring yeah. everywhere. Well, one of the interesting things is the part of the brain that really processes relationship and friendship and connection, um, the thalamus. It, it Male brain is two to three times larger just because, you know, men have more weight, more mass. So they have more weight, more mass in their brains. But this... Their brain is not two to three times larger. Their brain is larger. But this Don't part give us of the brain. Much credit. Right, right. We had big heads <laughs> Don't already. Let that go to your head. John and I were feeling <laughs> good there for a second. This part of the brain, the thalamus, which is kind of in the center of the brain and it helps us relate and remember and have friendship, is two to three times larger in the female, even though the male brain is generally a, a bit larger. So God has even just given us more geographical space 
to experience friendship and relationships. And that's why it hurts more when those things aren't going quite well. It makes well. total sense. I yeah. mean, I see that in my you know, conversations with Jean, and yeah. she'll tell me about her friends. And I can't remember who suggested this, but this is a great idea for the guys listening. Ask your wife how her relationships with her girlfriends is going. Oh. And wow. it's it's a, I mean, I thought... That you've done it? Yeah. Jean was like, wow. She just started <laughs> sharing all this stuff. And, uh, you know, at some point went, wow, I didn't, I didn't know I'd get that much information. But it's a great question. So that's great a, a good opener. What is the first lie that uh, was told to Eve in the garden? I think we all, if we've read the story, we kind of know it. But yeah. um, it played to her emotions. Describe yeah. that the way you process Well, it. can you imagine life before lies and deception? It's hard. Yeah, and the beauty of that place they lived in, and they're cocooned in fellowship with God. They walked with God every day. In the cool of the afternoon. In the cool of the afternoon, <laughs> they walked with him. What an, what a gift yeah. that they experienced friendship with their creator. And then Satan comes, disguised as a snake, and the book of John says that he is a liar, and he is the father of all lies. Every lie you've ever heard originates with one source, Satan. He is the father of them. And he comes with that first lie to Eve. And think about this. It's this beautiful garden full of trees, right? And God has given them some instructions. You can eat of every tree in the garden. So many to choose from. I don't know what kind of trees, but there are a lot of trees, right? And he says, this one tree is the only one is, that's off limits. So what God had given to them was far more significant than what he was withholding. There's a lesson in that for somebody today. But Satan comes, and what does he try to tell Eve? He essentially tells her, did God really say? So he makes her question. Right. And she starts to embellish what God says. And she says, God said, we can't even touch the tree or we'll die. God didn't say that. He didn't say don't touch the tree. He said, don't eat from it. There's legalism. From the beginning, we see legalism alive and well. We take God's rules and we make them a bigger rule than they really are. Don't do that in your parenting. Don't do that in your parenting. Rules without relationship are so damaging to the heart of a child. But right from the beginning, we see we had a proclivity for that. Mm. And what Eve ultimately believed, I think, at the base of that tree is the first lie we write about and lies girls believe. I should say Nancy DeMoss Walgamuth helped me a lot with forming this book. Um, God is not enough. Hmm. God is not enough. I need that piece of fruit. Because if I have that piece of fruit, I'm going to be like God, right? That was the lie she believed. And that's really the lie that all of us believe when we reach for whatever it is, when we reach for food, when we reach for the remote control, when we reach for our phones to scroll mindlessly through social media, when we reach for pornography, when we reach for um, uh, friendships that aren't healthy for us, we're, we're saying God isn't enough. Now, what do you think girls between the ages of eight and 12, you got to really put your creative thinking caps. John has a better chance <laughs> yeah, of getting this answer. I'm going to miss correct. this already. Probably still right? miss it. So what do you think? I mean, girls said a lot of things. If I could get on the soccer team, then God would be enough. If I could have a best friend, then God would be enough. If I could have this kind of schooling, God would be enough. If I could have a puppy, God would be enough, right? But what do you think was the one thing that most of them mentioned every time? John? I, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I guess... Um... It might hint. It might be what we're talking about. Relationships. Yeah, Yeah, there we go. They were like, if I had a friend, or if I had more friends, or if I had a best friend, Mm. 
then God would be enough. And so right here, you have something that really needs to be addressed because that ache in her heart, God created your daughter to have relationship with him. And until she has that relationship with him, you know, I remember one of my girls was in college. She decided to stay for a summer and do some work there on campus. And she was really lonely. Well, I'm an author. I can write from anywhere. So I go into mom fix it mode, which is moms pay close attention because we should not do this. But I was, <laughs> the, I was the dad thing. Let's fix I was, it. Dad, th- but moms do it too. I was ready to pack my suitcase and go just like at least for a week, be with her, go out with her for dinner at night, be her friend, fix the brokenness, right? Fix mm. the ache, fix mm. the loneliness. And I'm weeding my flower bed and I'm just like planning the trip. And suddenly I sense in my heart, God saying, do you really want to get in the way of the work I'm doing in your daughter's heart? Wow, that's tough. What if this loneliness, I'm allowing it to happen so she'll need me? Hmm. And I knew it was true. And I just sat down with my weeding equipment and cried because I knew that the pain she was going to feel, there was no way around it. But that I, as a mom, the best thing I could do was help her to understand God is enough. Yeah. And loneliness really is a problem right yeah. now in a special way. Um, really, about the year 2019, I started looking at stats and trends because we saw what can only be described as hockey stick growth in the loneliness of teens. Now, anytime you see hockey stick growth, that means something significant happened. Generally, sociologists see slow climbing trends or slow declines, right? You don't see boom up or boom down. What we see is this hockey stick trend of loneliness in teenagers um, starting about the year 2007 or 2008. Now, at the same time, we were seeing hockey stick trends, a downward trend of kids not spending time hanging out with each other. You see kids in the 70s, it's like they're all hanging out. And then it must have been the Reagan years. Suddenly in like the 80s and 90s, it comes down a little bit. It like slowly slopes down. But then in 2007, boom, kids are not hanging out with each other. Again, starting about 2007, what happened in 2007? Cell phone. Smartphones. <laughs> That's what Smartphones, happened. Smartphones, um, right. social media came to be. Yeah. And now kids, they say kids are spending an average of nine hours a day on their phones for entertainment. I think it's a lot higher than that. And that tweens are spending about five hours a day on some sort of a device. And they're doing entertainment, YouTube, sometimes social media, even right. under the age of 12, even though it's really not recommended under mm. the age of 12. So that is creating a new dynamic of loneliness that we haven't seen previously. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. I'm here asking people what happens when you turn 70 and a half. You get free ice cream for life? Uh, you get more senior discounts? When you turn 70 and a half, you're eligible for an IRA charitable rollover, and you can give that to Focus on the Family. You can find out more at FocusPlannedGiving.com. Reduce your taxable income and help families thrive for generations to come. It's a gift that appreciates, and we appreciate you for giving it. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. 
Dana, in addition to that loneliness factor you're talking about in a highly connected culture, teen culture, mm-hmm. preteen culture, where they've got so much accessibility to chat, do their Twitters or whatever yeah. they're doing now. I don't even know. That's how disconnected I can be sometimes. But in that regard, uh, cyberbullying is yeah. something that seems to be heavily weighted toward girls. Um, you know, girls get um, really ridiculed and, mm-hmm. and bullied in a social media context. Describe that and the importance of combating that and being in touch with your daughters about the effect of that. Well, I think that is part of what creates the loneliness. It's not just that there's not um, a friendship right in front of me who I can trust and I'm getting to know and I'm making eye contact, I'm reading nonverbals, and I'm feeling loved and connected. But when she's on social media, she's not getting any of that. And it's really easy to distort even a neutral message. Let's say you see a picture of your friend at a friend's birthday that you didn't get invited to, suddenly that becomes FOMO, fear of missing out. And that spirals into a lot of insecurity. But then there is literally, um, cyberbullying can be very deadly, very dangerous, not always to a girl's physical body, but to her spirit. Crushing. It, it, it crushes a girl's mm-hmm. heart. And she can begin, it can feed lies that she already believes about herself. Yeah. You know, um, lies that she's not loved, that she's not worth anything, that she's not beautiful. Like we heard that example at the top of the program that not feeling beautiful is really an important thing. God created women to be kind of, I think, the epitome of his creation, this beautiful expression of his beauty Mm. and i think that's a good and beautiful thing and it's to be celebrated but when the world is distorting it with lights and makeup and poreless skin and this girl shows up and she's like i don't look like that when i wake up guess what neither does that celebrity look like that when they wake up they've already been through hair and makeup to fake that picture um but then you put on top of that the bullying where they're actually told horrible things about themselves in that friendship and relationship space you've talked about that um how do we combat that lie of our daughters that i don't have friends and you know in some cases it may be true that they don't have a close friend and they want that and they seek that and they're just not getting that response from their friendship circles two things one is that loneliness is a real thing Mm -hmm. don't pass over it acknowledge it I'm sad that you feel lonely. Can you tell me about that? Like, I just want to listen. All I want to do is listen. For moms, that's a very painful thing. There were a few things that hurt me more than listening to my daughters talk about when they were bullied or when they felt lonely at at school. I hated that more than anything. It hurt me so badly. Because you experienced that? No, because I hated that she was experiencing it. I couldn't stand that my daughter was experiencing that pain. And that's where the temptation for us, I think, as moms Mm. comes in to fix it. I'm going to go fix that. But then the next thing um, that I would really recommend, and it's not the most important thing, because I'll get to that in a second. But the next thing I really recommend is so many times when you listen to them, What they're saying is nobody noticed me, nobody affirmed me, nobody invited me to sit with them on the bus today, nobody invited me to their birthday party. And it's really a backwards and unbiblical approach to friendship. And until your daughter starts to do friendship the way God designed her to do friendship, it's not going to work. And what is that? That is, she needs to be a friend. 
I don't know if this is still true, uh, shifting a gear here, but um, as I was reading the book and looking at the prep this morning, I was talking to Gene about this. And I said, were you ever boy crazy? <laughs> you yeah. know, and, you know, we're talking about elementary school, junior yeah. high. And she said, oh, yeah, you know, it was all silly stuff. And her and her girlfriends would see if some guy would notice her in sixth grade or something mm-hmm. like that. But that idea of the influence of boys in girls' lives at that age yeah. and the importance that many girls place on it, kind of the boy crazy craze, yeah. describe that and the damage it can do and how to develop that in a healthier way. Well, to write Lies Girls Believe, we surveyed 1,500 tween girls. These were all church-going girls. Mm. Um, and we did focus groups with dozens of moms. We wanted to make sure that the 20 lies that we addressed in the book were the lies that were, in fact, the most relevant. And one of the really big ones was this area of needing a boyfriend. Here's what made me really sad when we talked to the girls is it wasn't just this cultural trend of I need to have a boyfriend, right? And some something like 32% of girls by their 11th birthday have had a boyfriend. <laughs> I'm, really? Like what? Yeah. And yeah. now that's that would be, you know, broad, yeah. secular numbers. But that's the kind of pressure that's out there, that a third of the girls who have really not a specific need to be in a relationship with a boy – have one and that puts pressure on all of them to experience talking they call it talking together today i don't know if you know that but they call it they want to talk with someone that's the beginning of relationship but the research tells us that when you start with that when you're in eight to twelve year old range when you're 13 plus being in a dating relationship for six months or longer puts you on a conveyor belt to an early sexual debut so it that boy craziness really isn't a cute thing it's not something we should be encouraging and nurturing. And here's here's the long-term problem of it is I need the guy, I need the guy, I need the guy till you're married and you have the guy becomes God fix the guy. Well, and back to your point, relationship is critical. Yeah. Especially for that mom and daughter to yes. have those discussions right. and then those self uh, awareness things become, you know, they start to happen for her. Yeah. Okay. Mom was right. You know, yeah. it, that, and that's good. Let's, uh, we're right at the end. I want to cover at least one more. Speak to the lie that says that parents just don't get me. Well, I mean, is that a teen thing or what? That's boy and girl, by the way. Part of it is true, of course. <laughs> part of it is very <laughs> true. My um, mom, she just doesn't get me. Yeah. A lot of times that when we ask the girls, there's 1,500 girls, that like, why do you feel like your parents don't get you? Why do you feel like your family is weird? That was one of the lies that we addressed. My family is weird. That one came up a lot. <laughs> and it was, you know, everything from my family has goats, goats. We have goats, one girl said. Another one's like, we're not allowed to eat sugar. All these things, my family doesn't get that I want to eat sugar. My family doesn't get that I don't want goats. My family doesn't get that I don't want to go to church. Like, some of them were really serious things comes back to wanting to fit in and wanting to be normal. And we have to teach our girls that normal is very overrated and that at the end of the day, they want to be special and they want to stand out. Like there's a craving that they have to be the celebrity, the, the, the influencer on social media, right? Yeah. And at the same time, they're ha- hanging over here on this to this live, I want to be like everyone else. That's double-mindedness. That's what the Bible calls it. Mm. And so having really rich biblical conversations with your daughter about the fact of, let's talk about what's special about you. God made you so unique. 
and we might not get everything about you, but tell us what what really excites you that's different and unique about you. Don't tell us you want Instagram or Snapchat because all your friends do, because we're not going to do the normal thing. You just need to know that up front. But tell us what where are you unique? We want to foster and encourage that. Mm. So your no's need to come with yeses. You know, in that same respect, right at the end here, uh, it's so important that your children feel loved by you. And so often, back to your original point, that we can get so into the rules and the legalism that we forget the relationship. And let's end with that exclamation point, that as we're doing the parenting responsibility, to actually talk with them, sit with them. And I've always envisioned when my boys walked away from one of my conversations that they feel loved. They know, even if it was, you know, a reprimand or a correction, that they know I love them. And if you can go in that way, in this context with your daughters, you will get so much farther along in helping them spiritually and emotionally than just going with the rules. Right. Let me tell you something really interesting that we discovered when we surveyed these 1,500 girls is one of the big lies they believe about God. They believed God loved them when we asked them, does God love you? But when we dug and tried to get qualifiers for if there's any, when they sinned, they believed they were completely unlovable by God and by their parents. Isn't that the, Mm -hmm. we've all experienced that, right? Sure, that's guilt. But to have eight to 12 year olds experience it and God's word tells us that he loved us while we were yet sinners. Mm -hmm. He loved us when we were ugly and messy and hard to deal with. And still loves us. And still (laughs) loves us. And I'm still ugly and messy and hard to deal with sometimes, but our kids need to know that we love them when they don't get it right. I agree. And Dana, this has been so good. You have, I think, spoken to the hearts of many moms who are struggling a bit, not knowing what to do, and dads too, with their daughters to help them to fill that void and make sure that they understand that God is there to fill it first and foremost. And once you have that, Mm -hmm. as a teen girl, as a teen boy, man, it, it sets you up for the right things in life. And uh, this is a great reminder. So thank you. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. And uh, reminding us of these things. And to the listener, we want to get this into your hands. I mean, and we often do this. Uh, you know, if you can make a gift of any amount to help the ministry here, uh, because that's what we turn around and use with the proceeds. We just put it back toward people and helping people in the name of Christ. Send us a gift of any amount. If you can do that monthly, Uh, let's do it together. Let's do ministry together. And if you can, we'll send you uh, both of these, I believe. Right, John? That's right. We're bundling (laughs) these together. We'll bundle them together and we'll send them to you as our way of saying thank you. If you can't do that monthly, a one-time gift, we'll do the same thing. So be a part of the ministry and get a great resource from Dana Gresh that will help you in your parenting journey. Yeah, go ahead and contact us. Request uh, this bundle of books, Lies Girls Believe, and A Mom's Guide to Lies Girls Believe. And wait, it gets better. We have a free (laughs) audio download that we'll uh, include with that bundle. Uh, Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459. Or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast for all the details. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening today to Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ.